0: the CEO of O.H. Partners, Scott Harkey.
1: Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of O.H. Partners, Scott Harkey. Today, we're going to discuss how young Hollywood repositioned Evite. Joining us is Eric Huberman, who is the CEO and founder of Hawk Media, which was founded in 2013. Hawk Media is a full-service marketing consulting offering services like strategy, media buying, email, web design, content, and social. And today, Eric and I are going to discuss some of the work that he and his team have done with Evite a few years back, and we're also going to discuss a little bit about the marketing business. We got two agency people here, and uh, we're going to chop up shop. So here's my conversation with Eric Kuberman, CEO and founder of Hawk Media. What's up, bro?
2: Hey, man. How are you?
1: Good. Yeah, so obviously we're going to talk a little bit about eBite, typical like agency people. We like, you know, we're like, wait, how long was that campaign? Or he's like, yeah, that was forever ago, but we can still talk about it. But I want to dive into it a ton because typically we have like a lot of brand marketers on this podcast, but I I saw your background and I went to your LinkedIn and kind of stalked you like, you know, any good podcast host. And we have very similar backgrounds and uh, you built a really nice agency. Definitely love what I saw. And I'm very judgmental of other agency people like we all tend to do here in the business. And you also went to U of A, and I'm a huge ASU person. So I was like, what the hell? I got an agency person and U of I, but you've obviously built an amazing firm. So, I mean, how did you get started in the agency business? So you even had like a somewhat of a, a finance background before uh, you kind of got in the agency world. How did that
2: The finance actually came later. So I graduated in 2008, went into real estate uh, a week before Lehman Brothers collapsed and the rest of the banking industry. So that was an interesting time. I made 350 bucks my first year out of college. There's no zeros missing there. I made $350, which is not enough to pay rent in LA. So I uh, started working on some online businesses, ended up over the course of a few years building three different e-commerce companies, selling two of them, and then started consulting and advising for brands and just saw, similar to what you just said, how full of shit most agencies are and wanted to try to help these companies. And so hired a few people, started growing. And nine years later, we got two hundred dollars 50 of them, give or take. And then we've got, and so you mentioned finance. Through that, well, I started dating my now wife a month after I started Hawk. She's in private equity. So it opened my eyes to the finance world too. And I started looking at how can I leverage that for what we do. I ended up partnering with one private equity firm to basically help bring a marketing perspective to everything they're investing in, which is called Arrowroot. and We've been doing that for years. And then uh, launched our own fund and started investing in a lot of the softwares that we use, like Quavio, PostScript, TapCart, all these Shopify plugins and marketing technology. That went really well. We made a lot of money investing and so continue to build that out. And just, yeah, basically realize that there's a lot of confluence between marketing and finance, and most people don't understand it. And so t- tapping into that's been super powerful.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So sounds like e-commerce early on, a ton of agencies in LA have done a lot of e-commerce. So if you look at some of the fastest growing agencies, uh, a ton in LA there, and, and a lot even on the brand equity side too. Yeah, I I have also noticed from a private equity standpoint, a lot of agencies and people don't understand that world. And having somebody like yourself with that background to give a marketing perspective for private equity makes a ton of sense. So when did the work for eVite start? Tell me how, I guess that was like kind of the main one. Let's quickly touch on that. That
2: was really early. Yeah, that was actually, I think, almost nine years ago. (laughs) Um, But basically, eVite What happened was, I met the founder of a company called iSeasons that had basically built uh, the biggest online costume site on the planet. So it was like buycostumes.com and buy holidays and all these things. And he hired us to do some marketing for him. They were bought by IAC, which at the time, which is Barry Diller, who also owned Evite at the time. So then we were introduced to Evite because we were doing all this holiday work. They said, oh, maybe you can work with Evite too. And Evite, as we start to onboard with them, their VP of marketing quits. And they go, oh, shit, can you just take it over? And so this Liberty Media then bought Evite, brought in this CMO that was... Her name's Jennifer Domenichini. She's awesome. She ended up being the CMO of BBVA. Before that, she was the CMO of Kmart. And so she comes in and goes, yeah, I need help. Like, just take this over. So we ended up being basically the outsourced marketing team for Evite for quite a while. And we were trying to figure out how to make it relevant again, because like everyone, every millennial knew what Evite was, or I guess older millennial to Gen Z, or Gen X, excuse me. But as you got younger, like nobody knew what Evite was. And so we decided the best way to do that was let's get a bunch of young Disney stars throwing their sweet 16s and stuff and using Evite for it and having Evite be their party partner. And so we literally threw a party at a club with I remember the first one was Madison Pettis, who was a Disney star. And it started to become relevant. And since then, evites actually done very, very, very well because people started using it again and they crushed it in the pandemic. They pivoted well, like they ended up becoming a very strong company again for where they were on the way to being
1: irrelevant. Oh, that's cool. So it sounds like one of the original influencer <laughs> strategies. Obviously, your proximity in LA and some celebrity. That that sounds I can see why that worked. All right. I, I want to go back to so. Okay, so you, your now wife was in private equity. You had a little bit of a finance background early on from UVA, and you saw an opportunity to have private equity invest some of the ad tech that you're working with. Like, you know, I know our agency. We work with a ton of ad tech, and there's like some I, I believe is doing well. Some suck. Like, there's thousands of ad tech out there that sucks, and they're all trying to sell you this shit at whatever conference you know you're at. Clavio, obviously, I'm very familiar with. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, that's kind of a little off script, but um, I think that's I think it's really interesting. Yeah,
2: I, I hate sticking to a script. So, yeah, Clavio, I mean, we were their first partner. So, like, Clavio wow. launched through a tiny business. And Can
1: you explain to our audience what Clavio does for the people who don't know?
2: Yeah, it's an email marketing software. So, as you're trying to manage your email, as to, man, you know, email your customers and all the e- promotional emails, things like that, it's just become the winner in that space. And we early on discovered them like when we started Hawk again, it's almost nine years ago. Bronto was a really big software, and there was sale through and the problem with most of these email softwares, though, is you needed technical ability. You needed to be able to code, you needed to be able to like implementing it was crazy. and Clavio you could just plug in really, really easily. It was a very easy to use platform, so my team liked it really quickly, and so we just developed a partnership with them that over time, turned into us investing. And then I was actually, they raised a ton of money. They're worth, I think, $10 billion now. And they raised a ton of money from private equity. The private equity firms that invested actually called me as their reference check. So like we ended up really close with them and continue to build a partnership with them. They're a great platform. And so that was a good highlight of like, wow, we were a part of these guys. Like, this is a whole other aspect of the business that I never thought of because agencies, if you're doing it right, cash flow pretty well. Like the idea is they're profitable, they make cash. But they're not. There's not a lot of asset value in it. Even if they're making cash, like you're not going to sell an agency for ten times, fifteen times revenue. Like those things don't happen. Like they do in software. And so it's like, well, how do I take that cash flow and turn it into things that can become worth that much money? And so it was. I, I was used to making very little money with my startups. And so when I started making great money, I just put it back to work. And so started investing in
1: tons of things. As now the agency, are you looking at? That? More investment or brand investment, or are you looking at more client agency growth, or both? Like in your mind, what's the strategy look like for you the next three or five?
2: Yeah, I mean, on the agency side, we have, we still have so much room to grow, and we you know we've done well. We managed about half a billion dollars in ad spend, but I don't even know the metrics. But there's a lot more than that out there, so we have a long way to go on the agency growth side. It's all complementary. Like as we can continue to own and build and fund. Better softwares to do better at what we do, and then also be a on-paper partner with these softwares. Like again, Klaviyo is the number one email marketing tool for e-commerce. Like being an owner and a partner in it is not so bad for the agency. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Postscript, which has become the number one SMS marketing tool uh, for text message marketing. And same thing for TapCart, which is the number one mobile partner to Shopify. And like all these things that we're owners in, that having those relationships plays a big part in the success of the agency side, while also the relationship between the agency and that software can help drive the success of that software, which then drives the success of my investment. Which is why we we raised a first fund at five million bucks, did really well with it. And now we just closed half of a fifty million dollar fund. So we're investing. We've closed twenty five of fifty to continue that path of investing.
1: I mean, it makes so much sense, and I think a lot of ways I, I can relate to you a ton. That we're definitely on the front lines of how we're yeah. solving. Brand marketers' problems as an agency partner through some ad tech. I mean, there's so much that is out there.
2: Yep. When you mentioned it, like the ad tech you hate, let's not invest in the ad tech we hate. The ad tech that you're really excited about, your whole team likes and you're using, why not be an owner? 100%. That's you what know? so I like now. You- trade
1: desk for me, <laughs> like, huge uh, on trade desk. I think they're still undervalued. My, my investment stock people say I'm crazy. But I always look, I have another agency buddy, friend of mine, he invests in a ton of stuff. And we always, we always look at the same way we would consumer marketing. It's like, time spent listening right like what are people spending time with is it is it Netflix is it Twitter you it, it changes and how do you I think the valuation of companies today really is based on what consumers are spending time so if it's a b2b product you know what agencies are using it so I, I think that's genius I freaking love it and I, I I do think ad agency people too get pretty focused on their craft but they're involved in so many different things they can really leverage I think their expertise in, in a lot of other ways yeah
2: it's and you have to be careful because I give my wife credit because, like, she pulled the veil off of what a fund, how a fund operates, and how investing works. Like, oh, last year and the year before, everyone became such fucking experts in investing and doing all these things, and most people lost their ass because most people in our generation and the generation younger, et cetera, like they haven't been through a shit show of an economy, so they didn't know that, like, yeah, things can go up and up and up and then drop seventy percent. Mm-hmm. So. I think you got to be careful in it too. But if you're prudent and you actually under start like really wearing this stuff and aren't flipping about it, I know so many people that like to angel invest when they start making money, and like those checks go nowhere. And my favorite thing is agencies that do sweat equity because we've now got the data. We we got really heavy in that early and learned our lesson. Like most people willing to give you equity in their company for the in exchange for doing some marketing help for them, don't value their own equity. Which means you're, you're they value it less than you're going to. Yeah, it's not a good sign when you're talking about really value their own. Expertise. Oh
1: my! So I've learned the hard way, and you talk to every agency out there, and they're like, "Yeah, we we don't we don't do that." And I've I've gotten sucked in, um, for sure. I'm still sucked in on one deal that <laughs> I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, daughter, you know, but it's generally a bad
2: move. Once in a while, it can work I,
1: out. I couldn't agree more. Where do you think, just to focus on brands kind of towards the end of this podcast, like where do you think brands are, are getting it wrong? Like marketing people on the brand side. I mean, you and I have a ton of clients on that side. Where do they need help? Where could they be? I don't know. What could they be doing a better job with? Like we were in that role, like, and we went to like the CMO side, which I thought about, I love what I'm doing, but obviously you see some people that do just an amazing job and they can build global brands and they do great work. And there's others that suck. Where are they getting it wrong?
2: The biggest thing I see is everybody became, I'm going to say like too data driven, where they read the data thinking that it tells the whole picture. and the problem is most of the time the data you have does not tell the whole picture. And so they're reading things like my favorite example of this is the Facebook platform right now. So when iOS happened and Facebook and all this stuff, everybody's like sort of talking point is that Facebook is really having a shit show and they're doing horribly because of iOS. That's what everyone loves to talk about. The problem is nobody actually thinks rationally about what happened there and what is happening. So basically what happened was Apple changed the ability for Facebook to track on iPhones, which is a huge percentage of traffic off Facebook. So your tracking went to crap. Before that, you could track a 28-day window on Facebook ads. If I clicked an ad for 28 days, I could see if you purchased, you came back, all that stuff. That was the tracking. That went away. So I can't do that anymore. And now Facebook has a seven-day tracking window, but I do air quotes because it's not really tracking. From what I understand, it's more algorithm-based than it's actually tracking Like Facebook can't track on iPhones. So you're losing all this data. And so people look at that and go, yeah, so Facebook performance is terrible. It's like, you think that because you can't track on an iPhone, that stopped people from buying through Facebook ads. Like somehow that makes fucking sense. The answer is it doesn't. It's not actually the truth. What happened was you just can't track it. So you're not seeing it. And so when you, like super easy math, the average consumer on e-commerce takes about a month to buy a product from the first time they see it. So when you have a 28-day tracking window, you can see a general average of how your purchases are going. When it drops to seven, it's going to look horrible. Like compare seven days to 28 days in terms of a tracking window, it's going to look horrible. Nobody thinks that little bit of complexity... Seems to be too complicated for most marketers, sadly. And so what happens is everybody sees, and we've seen this a lot, all of a sudden their numbers, last year it was reporting 28 days, this year seven days. So they look at year over year numbers. This was in Q1. And they go, last year we were getting 10 times returns on our ad spend. Now we're not even getting one. It's like, yeah, because it's a completely different report. But people are pulling off Facebook in masses, hence the revenue decline on Facebook. And what's the problem is this happened. This is a good example of where it really becomes a problem. If Facebook with that seven day window is, let's say, reporting a 1x return, which isn't profitable because you have a cost of goods. So, like, you're getting one times return on your ad spend, and you're now like, well, I'm not even making money off that. You go to shut it off. We just had this with a client where it was they were seeing 1x in Facebook. We used third party tracking, other tools that Apple didn't cut off to go look at what their actual returns were. And over the course of a month, they were making 14 times. So they were about to cut off because one time is what Facebook was reporting versus 14 times. Here's the big issue in terms of numbers. If you're spending 100 grand on advertising and Facebook's telling you you're only making another 100 grand, you're like, yeah, I'll turn this off. If the reality is you're spending 100 grand and it's making you 1.4 million dollars, when you shut that off, you lose that 1.4 million dollars. So your revenue declines. Hence, and we have all this data, the average e-commerce company in 2022 has declined 20% on revenue both because last year is really hard to compete with and because everybody started pulling back on their advertising because they got spooked from the tracking ability. So to answer your question, learn how to actually read data and how purchase cycles work. Don't just blindly follow a spreadsheet. That's the biggest thing marketers are making a mistake right now.
1: Wow, I love that insight. And I'm going to continue agreeing with you because I think there's no perfect secret sauce to multi-point attribution modeling, especially when it comes to digital last click conversion cycles. And I think that's always a battle that marketers and agencies have is you can be interpreting the data the wrong way, whether billboards aren't getting enough credit or Instagram or do you not go on Twitter you know, to do ads or whatever it is. But I still believe that uh, similar to what you said in terms of whether your lookalike audience or targeting can still be good. And if you have the right message at the right time, the right consumer with the right frequency, and you're measuring overall sales, That should be kind of your North Star, not getting too much into the weeds and allowing for a data point to throw you off in the wrong way. So I I think that's a really great insight, especially as Facebook's and Instagram, their ad revenue, I think went from like 7 billion to 14. And now it's going to be down and off a little bit. And I think the e-commerce trend is certainly trending in, in the wrong direction for most brands. You would know more than me, but I think just everybody loves the. Return on ad spend, and I kind of like the art and science behind our business, where you have to—you're <laughs> not just working an ad problem every day. You have to—you have to be. It just doesn't work
2: that way. That works when everyone's printing money and the government adds forty percent to our cash outstanding cash. That's when that works. It doesn't work in a normal economy or a down economy. And it's not a way to run a business long term. It's, you know, anytime it's easy, it, something's wrong. Like, and that's what people have to understand. It's not easy to make money in the long term. You have to really be diligent. I love
1: that. I think that should be the name of this podcast. They're just not easy to make money. <laughs> Wait till uh, a down economy happens. Eric, I love the background, just yep. coming up on the agency side to a lot of e-commerce to yep. private equity. I think uh, any brand marketer, agency person, this podcast is a must and we can learn a ton from it. Big thanks again to Eric, CEO and founder of Hawk Media for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, where Eric and I are going to discuss Crocs targeting Gen Z with influencers. Boy, Crocs went from uh, kind of a brand to be made fun of the, to going crazy. So I'm excited to dive into that. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Eric, you'll find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is twitter.com backslash Eric Huberman, or visit his company website at hawkmedia.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to our podcast, head over to rebrandpod.com, where we'll have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing plan. You can apply to be our guest speaker on the Rebrand Podcast. Of course, you can reach out on social media. Our handle is at rebrandpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the good stuff. You can also contact me directly on Twitter at SharkyAZ or at Scott Harkey on Instagram or find me on LinkedIn or whatever. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing campaign brilliance in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. But hit that subscribe button on your podcast app and we'll be right back in your feed the next business day. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.